I'm going to invite you to turn your Bible to the book of Ephesians. And uh, as you turn there, I want to just tell you about an article that I read this past week. It happened in Today uh, magazine, and it's uh, about a, a woman and her unique way of celebrating her marriage, her marriage relationship every day. Um, this gal, her name is Samantha Burns, and she's a kind of a mental health counselor and a dating consultant. And she's pretty good at relationships. And she is a self-proclaimed, if you will, millennial love expert. And she stands by her advice to wear your wedding dress wherever and whenever you want. Seriously. She says, I've been very passionate about love and relationships, Burns told today. They are what bring us so much joy in the world. And for her, wearing that most special dress every anniversary is what will keep the romance alive. It all started on the night of her wedding when Samantha said she couldn't accept the idea of wearing her favorite gown only once in her life. That's when she turned to her husband and declared that she would be donning her most beloved article of clothing every year on their August 10th anniversary. He thought I was joking when I first told him, she said. When he surprised me with a trip for our first anniversary, I told him to make sure I'd be able to wear my dress to whatever we were doing. He laughed, but I brought the dress along with me. So on their first anniversary, she wore her wedding dress while hitting golf balls on the range. <laughs> on her third anniversary, she wore it on a sunset cruise on Boston Harbor. It was a Wednesday night, she said, so we had the dance floor to ourselves with live music. It felt like a mini wedding all over again. I'm wondering if at that point, the husband finally got this idea that, oh, she's probably pretty serious about wearing this dress. And maybe I better up the ante and quit going to golf courses, you know? Don't know. Like most brides and grooms, Samantha may discover that you can't fit in your wedding dress or your clothes year after year, but she maintains that this isn't just about her wedding dress capades. It's about couples cultivating their own traditions that make for happy and an everlasting union. You know, when I read that, I thought, what, what a great way to honor the institution of marriage. In a day and age when marriage is not looked upon very highly, it's downcast in so many different ways. It just, it's, it's not a big deal. It's really not. And here's a woman who says, I, I love my husband so much. I love the fact that we stood before each other and we gave each other these vows and we proclaimed our love to each other. And now what I want to do is I want to make sure that I'm doing all that I can to enhance our relationship, to enhance our marriage together. And what a great way to remind it, I'm sure, not just on August 10th, but every day of the wonder and the beauty of a marriage relationship and how we are to love each other in the context of marriage. What a beautiful display of what it looks like for a married couple to love each other and to care for each other. Do you know that in the Bible, marriage is a metaphor, it's an image, it's a picture, it's a parable, that stands for something beyond just a marriage relationship. That marriage in the Bible points to something greater than just the relationship as a couple. It points to something beautiful. It actually points to the relationship between Jesus and the church. That marriage is so wonderful, so beautiful is God's design that what he says, the marriage relationship actor, that, that wonderful, beautiful picture is the display of, of, a display of the way that, that Jesus loves the church and the way that Jesus gave himself up for the church. 
It's a beautiful description of how we relate to each other and how Jesus relates to us. Do you know that the church is actually the bride of Christ? Do you know that? That we, men and women, married and unmarried, doesn't matter, we are the bride of Christ. Jesus is, is, is in public ministry. And John the Baptist is going ahead of him, and he and he's, has this ministry, and he's baptizing people. And people come to John the Baptist, and they say, John, this guy by the name of Jesus, he's baptizing more people than you. What's going on here? And John, recognizing his role as the forerunner of Jesus in John chapter 3, gives us a beautiful picture of Jesus' portrait of himself. John chapter 3, it says this. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. This joy of mine, and it's now complete. What is John saying? John recognized himself as what the friend of the bridegroom. He recognized the relationship that he had, and he recognized that he was the forerunner. And, and if, if Jesus is the bridegroom, then, then who's the bride? We are. We are. The church, the people in the church are the bride of Christ. What a beautiful description of who we are in the body and the family of God and how we're to love each other and to care for each other. By the way, if you go to the book of Revelation, you go all the way to the end, Revelation chapter 21, verse 9, notice the description. The angel speaks to John and notice what he says. The angel says to John, come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Who's the bride? Who's the wife of the Lamb? Come and I will show you. It's us. It's the body of Christ. It's the family of God. You men, women, young, old, if you are in faith, you are a part of the family of God. You're a part of the church. And it's a beautiful, beautiful description of our relationship with Jesus and his relationship with the church. Revelation chapter 19. I want to read this for you. And, and I want you to understand in the context of the song that we just sang. Worthy is the Lamb. Think about that context and the shouting and what's going on. Revelation chapter 19. Notice what's happening here. Uh, this is a, a, one of the, the uh, visions that John has been given. In Revelation 19 we hear these words. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude. And the roaring of rushing waters. Have you ever heard the roaring of rushing waters? Have you ever been to a waterfall, Snoqualmie Falls in, in Washington State? You have to walk down, and when you go down and you stand next to your spouse, you can barely hear what's going on because of the rush of the roaring water. That's this picture of what's going on in heaven. Then when I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like a roar of rushing waters and loud peals of thunders, and they're shouting. What are they shouting? Hallelujah. Praise God. For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has been made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to it. This is a future event of the universal church when we are with God in heaven, and he's, 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 he's receiving the bride, he's receiving the church, and it's absolutely beautiful. All the, the issues and the problems and the blemishes and the stains of our life have all been removed and we were presented to Jesus in the marriage supper of the Lamb. And one day, one day, there's going to be shouting 
and celebration. If you go back and read Revelation 19, and we're going to be in and out of Revelation 19, if you go back and read Revelation 19, four times the word hallelujah is used. Praise God. Four times. Why? Because something beautiful is happening, and it is the marriage supper of the Lamb, where the church, the bride, is being presented to Jesus in all of her wonder and all of her glory. And that's one day our future. This morning, if you've not been with us, we're in a, a short series about the essential church, about the, the wonder and the beauty of the life of the church. And what we've seen so far, Jesus said, I'm going to build the church. The idea of a metaphor, there's a building with the church. Uh, we are members of one another. This idea of we're a part of the body of Christ. Um, this idea that we're all hanging in there together and we need each other in the family of God. That's what we're called. We're called a household of faith. So, so there's a lot of metaphors that describe um, our, our relationship with Jesus and the church. And, and it's a beautiful description of, of all that Jesus has done for us. And, and now we come to this idea that what we're a bride. The church is the bride of Christ. And so what I want to do is I want to read Ephesians chapter 5 for us. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul is writing to people at Ephesus. People are probably just learning about Jesus who came to faith and they have no idea how to relate to Jesus in the context of relationships with each other. And he's writing to them about how to relate to one another. Specifically in our context, it's going to be men and women in the context of marriage. Hear the word of the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. Father, your word says to come to you, and you will teach us. Father, I ask that you would open our eyes, that we would see the wonder and the beauty of a relationship with you, a relationship with our spouses, with a relationship with the church. And Father, we would see the sacrificial nature of who Jesus is and what he's done, and how he's changed us and transformed us into something beautiful. Father, I pray that you'd speak to us through your word, and it's the name of Jesus, I pray. So as, as I read this, did you, did you read how Paul describes this relationship with the church? Uh, verse 25, Christ loved the church. Verse 27, it's a radiant church that he's going to present to himself. Uh, and verse 29, Christ feeds and nourishes the church. And at the end, there's this mystery concerning the church. Over and over, we have this idea of Paul relating to the church. And what Paul is doing is Paul is writing to some people at Ephesus. There's kind of this house church, and this is most likely a circular letter that's going to be moved around all over the place. And what he's trying to do is he's most likely writing to pagans. He's most likely writing to people who didn't know anything about marriage from a, from a Bible perspective, from a Christ perspective. And what he wants them to do is he wants them to know about a relationship with Jesus and how as they feed on that relationship with Jesus, it's going to help them in all the other areas that they come to. And so let me just explain something to you. What I want to do is we can take a broad look at this passage, all right? We can take a broad look. We can go back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, where it says this. Be imitators of God and live a life of love. That's to every one of us. That's to all of us here today. Live a life of love. Sacrifice yourself. 
You could also look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, this, in the context of relations, mutually submit to one another. You all, we all submit to one another. And then it gets into more specifics about the relationship between the husband and the wife. Male and female, husband's wife. And how we're to relate to each other. And he's going to continue on in this section about talking about children and employee relationship. So we have this broad section of what Paul is doing is Paul is giving us instruction about how we're to live in the family of God. And it's centered on the idea of my attention, no matter where I'm at in life, if I want to learn about marriage, if I want to learn about parenting, if I want to learn about the nature of employee relationship, if I want to learn about the nature of sacrifice, what I need to do is I need to look to Jesus. The beginning point for marriage is not looking at your parents' marriage, even though that could be good, but they're broken people and they're going to make mistakes. The beginning of all relationships essentially is looking at the unique person of who Jesus is and what he would have for our lives. So ultimately, that's what we're doing in this passage. We're looking to Jesus and how he would frame our life, how he would frame our relationships with our children, how we would frame our relationships with our employees, how we would frame our relationships with our spouses. The place to begin is your relationship with Jesus, and that's what he's going to do here. And then he's going to offer some application, if you will, specifically to men. So what might we learn as we fly by that? What might we learn on all those levels? Let's take a look at it. Number one, what do we learn about this? Number one is this. Jesus loves the church. Let me ask you, do you love the church? Do you love, do you love the people in the church? Jesus loves the church. And Jesus loves the people in the church. You know, love is really one of those misunderstood words, especially in the context of marriage. You know, we think about it this way. I, I, I love you because I have this really strange feeling in the pit of my stomach, and whenever I'm around you, my, arms gets, my armpits get sweaty. You know, it's kind of like when you first met your wife, and you're kind of like, don't know what to do, and you're all fumbly, and you, you, you kind of have that, that perception of love. Or, or maybe love is this. It's, I, I love you because you're, you're absolutely beautiful. I love you. I love you because of, in the context of marriage, what you do for our family and the way that you serve. I, I look at my spouse, I look at that person, and I love that person for who they are. And the reality is we see love all around us, don't we? We can see what love is like in the context of marriage relationship. Children do. Love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy, and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure that this. It tastes okay. Isn't that cool? Love is a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends even after they know each other so well. I want to be that. I want to be that. That's 70 years of marriage with my wife. That's love, right? We've seen it. Love is when mommy sees daddy smelly and sweaty and still said she is handsomer than Robert Redford. That's love. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis. Now that's love. All of those are beautiful demonstrations of love in the context of a marriage relationship. And we read that and we can see it and go, wow. What a beautiful display of love. Notice the text says in verse 25, Christ loved the church and what? He gave himself up for her. Jesus gave himself up for the church, the pre-incarnate Christ. 
He's in heaven. He's at the right hand of God in his wonder and beauty. And he, and he leaves the wonder and the beauty of this relationship with the triune God in this, this place of worship, this place of adoration. He leaves that to what? To come to this earth and to tabernacle and live among us. And in Hebrews chapter 10, we kind of get a picture of what was going on in the mind and the heart of Christ as he prepared to enter into this world. Hebrews chapter 10 says this. Notice what happens here. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, that's the pre-incarnate Christ when he came into the world, pre-incarnate Christ. He said, what is he going to do? He's going to quote, so now Christ is quoting scripture. He's going to quote Psalm 40, if you will. What does he say? Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body. What is that? That's the virgin birth. In the context of burnt offerings and sacrifices, that's a body. But a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. And then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. That is obedience. That is obedience of Jesus. And he's saying this. He's saying, I'm ready to pay the price. I'm ready to endure all the pain. I'm I'm ready to do all of that. All of that. For people who don't want to have any way with him, who do not want to acknowledge him in any way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the very righteousness of God. What is on the mind of Christ? On the mind of Christ is the cross. He's going to endure pain. He's going to endure suffering. He's going to endure all of that so that we might have a relationship with him and we might be presented in the church spotless and blameless and pure. No matter what you have gone through, the difficulties and the challenges of your life. What's happening here? He's pointing us back to the cross. Now, Revelation 19. Let me just read a text in Revelation 19, verse 6 and 7. Notice at the end, at the end, what's happening here, this vision, this hallelujah. Hallelujah for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. Why? For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. If you go back and read the book of Revelation, there's 22 chapters, 28 times Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. And in my mind, I'm thinking, wait a minute. This is the end. This is the victory. This is, why not the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Why not that? Why not the Christ? Why not any of those? Why is he referred to as the Lamb? Because he's the Lamb of God who came and he's been slain for all of the sin of the world. And those are the hallelujahs that are being sung in heaven about the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. Revelation chapter 5, verse 12. Notice what he says and what he writes. Worthy is what the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory. The Lamb who was slain picks up Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, where it says he was a Lamb to led to the slaughter. 
And what Jesus is reminding us when he says he loved the church and he gave himself up for the church is this, that he went and he endured and he suffered for you and for me so that I might have a relationship with him and that I might be restored in my relationship with him. And because of my restoration in my relationship with him, now I can be the type of man that God wants me to be as a husband. And we can be the type of people that God wants us to be as people in his church. Man, the specific reference is, is to this husband. Do you, love your, do you love your wives as Christ loved the church? I don't know about you, but I don't. And what it does, it's, it makes me think, well, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I, I can't sacrifice the way that Jesus did. I, I can't do that. I have, a, I have a hard enough time taking out the trash every week. And what it reminds me is I, I need something. I need Jesus. I need the Spirit of God. I need something beyond myself. I need the grace of God in my life. And I need that to be able to love my wife as Christ of the church. And the other level of this is it's not just for husbands, but it's, but it's for all of us in the church. None of us can live this way toward other people, our family members, our friends. What do we, need? we need the Spirit of God inside of us to help us to live the kind of life that he would have us to live, sacrificial. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. I, I, I quoted this earlier. Notice what it says. And this is to all of us, lest we think that this is just for, this text is just for husbands. It says this, be imitators of God, therefore, and what? As dearly loved children, live a life of love. What is our responsibility? Our responsibility, if you're a believer in Jesus, is to live a life of love. Got it. What does that mean? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wow, I don't know about you, but that's pretty hard. It, it, that's to all of us this morning, not just to husbands, that we are to live in a sacrificial way to people around us. And that kind of love that gives in that kind of way, what it will transform what? Marriages, families, communities, churches. This is a high calling for love. Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. Do you love the church that way? Second thing is this. Jesus nourishes the body. It says this in verse 28. Love your husbands, love your wives as your own bodies. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed it and care for the body just as Christ does the church. So th there's, a, there's a problem in this um, verse here for me, and it has to do with, with, with bodies. And this is what I mean. I have a physical next month with my, uh, with my doctor. I want to... I want to take care of my body, and so I have an annual physical that I need to go to. And I am very nervous about this one because I know what they're going to do. I already know, I already know what they're going to do. Come on in. Oh, yeah, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. Step on the scale. Excuse me? <laughs> step on the scale. I don't want to step on the scale, sir. You need to step on the scale. I, I guarantee you when I go in there next week, I'm wearing flip-flops, short pants, and a tank top. I'm going to do, do all that I can to get my weight down. What are they going to do? They can maybe step on the scale and then take your, they do all of that stuff. And then I'm going to go in, I'm going to sit right in front of Dr. Meyer. He's going to smile at me. He's going to look at my, my, my weight. He's going to go, Clint, you've been doing well, haven't you? 
So imagine I go in there and I realize that I am overweight and I'm trying to do that, getting on the, on the, uh, the treadmill, trying to do that. But imagine I go in there and Dr. Meyer says it to me and I, and I say this. It's not my fault. It's my wife's fault. <laughs> she cooks at night and expects me to have two helpings every night. She cooks all of these great dishes in a creative way and expects me to eat them. And then when she, when she creates dessert, she makes it, I have to have three cookies every night. And what would Dr. Meyer do? He'd go, well, you're an idiot. <laughs> you are responsible for your own life. You cannot pass that off and blame other people. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here. He's saying, listen, there's a very, very simple point here. You look after your own body. Your body is your responsibility. You're going to feed it. You're going to nourish it. You're going to take care of your own body. Now, husbands, guess what you need to do? You have the responsibility before the Lord to feed and to nourish and to help your spouse to grow and mature in her faith. You take care of your own body, and as you take care of your own body, what you want to do is you want to be actually helping to nourish your spouse. Are you doing that? Am I doing that? Are we doing that? Listen, that's a high and holy calling. Jesus did that because he loved the church and he gave himself up for the church. That's a responsibility that we have. And on the flip side, on another level for all of us, maybe you're not in a marriage relationship, the flip side of that is, is, is that we have the church, the members of the body of Christ, the body of Christ. Why are they there? To help feed, nourish, build up the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. When the body of Christ comes together, all of the members, the hands and the feet, when all of the members come together and we work and operate together, what happens? The body of Christ grows, matures, and builds itself up. We need each other in the family of God. And we need to be nourishing each other in the family of God. Listen, Jesus knows what the church needs. Go back and read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. He appoints people in the church. He knows exactly what the church needs. And he gifts the church. And as we operate within the context of the church, using our gifts, our talents, and abilities, what happens is the church grows. Jesus loves the church. Do you love the church? Jesus nourishes the church. Are you nourishing yourself, nourishing your spouse, nourishing other people? Number three is this. Jesus will present the church to himself. Look at verse 26. It says this. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Man, I don't know how you feel when you read through that, but that is pretty awesome. That is pretty awesome, what Jesus is doing in the church and what Jesus is going to do in the church. And I, I read this and I look, is that my understanding of the wonder and the beauty and the purity of my relationship with my spouse, relationship with my family, and, and am I learning from that in the way that Jesus is going to present the church in all of its beauty in the future one day? 
I mean, you, you have to be awestruck by this. That when you look around and you see all the blemishes and you see all the stains and you see all the wrinkles all around us and we know about our past and we know all about that. And Jesus said, I'm going to transform all that and there's not going to be any blemishes and there's not going to be any stains. As a matter of fact, you're going to be robed in the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's transforming power. That's the beauty of what God has done in the midst of the church. The beauty of the church as it comes together. Do you have that that understanding of how Jesus loves the church, how Jesus cares for the church, and how Jesus wants to present the church as a spotless bride to himself, as a radiant bride. So I have, we, Laura and I have three daughters, and obviously we've had a, a couple of weddings, and the three daughters their, their, their big day was, that, was that, way, that wedding day. And they begin in the morning to prepare themselves for the big event, the wedding ceremony. They begin in the morning. And, and their presentation, their understanding of who they are and their dress, they want to be a radiant bride, as every, most every bride wants to be. It's incredibly important that they operate and they and they come together with their dress and all of that they, they want to be they want to be that spotless bride i mean i can't tell many tell you how many times i've sat here and when those doors open up and the bride comes through a lot of times i'm not watching i'm not watching the back i'm watching the guy and i can't how many tell you how many times the groom was just bawling because he sees the beauty of his bride and he, he sees how radiant she is. And he's weeping. And that's how Jesus loves the church. Jesus loves the church in such a way that there's not going to be any wrinkles. And, and there's not going to be any blemishes. And there's not going to be any of that stuff going on. Why? Be, because of Jesus' death on the cross and his sacrifice for, for sin. And the fact that he clothes us in the very righteousness of Christ because of who he is and what he's done for us by me simply putting my faith and my trust in him. Revelation 19, a beautiful scene again. Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. The church is made ready. And notice what it says. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Let me ask you something. Are you going to be there? Are you going to be there? There's only one requirement, to trust Jesus. To trust that Jesus went to the cross and offered himself as a sacrifice for sin. He paid for my sin. He paid for all of our sin. And by simply reaching out and putting my faith and trust in the life, death, burial, and resurrection for Jesus, he cleanses us from all of our sin. I am actually cleansed from all of my sin. And you are cleansed in, from all of your sin. And there are no spots and there are no blemishes. Why? Because of Jesus and what he's done. Because of Jesus. And we are all invited to be there. We just need to reach out and we need to trust him for who he is. Okay, so how do we love the church? Let me end with this. How do we love the church? I, I think there's an application here. And the application is in, in verses 31 through 32. And let me see if I can... I can outline to us. Notice what Paul does here. 
What Paul is going to do, he's going to take us back to creation. He's going to take us back to the very beginning. He's going to take us all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And notice what he writes. He says this. For this reason, all that I've taught you, not just men and women, but all that I've taught you about sacrifice, all that I've taught you about relationships, about focusing your attention on me. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. What I'm talking about is Christ in the church. How do I love the church? What I would say is this. Number one, recognize that this is about God's design. God's design for marriage is that we would be united together in a one flesh relationship. God is the one that instituted this idea of marriage. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing that men and women would come together in the context of marriage. And and what do they become? They become one flesh. Our our minds can't even get our our, our mind around because it doesn't make sense mathematically. It just something happens in the wonder and the beauty of marriage. This is God's design. The institution of marriage is a good thing. Why? It's a good thing for the family. And by the way, the institution of the church is a good thing because it's about Jesus in his relationship with the church. Do you notice what Paul did here? Paul goes back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And he roots the marriage relationship in creation. And then notice what he says in verse 32. This is a profound mystery. What I'm talking about is Christ in the church. What is the mystery that's being revealed? That from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, that's pre-fall. That's before the fall. From the very beginning the marriage relationship was going to become a picture of Christ in the church. Before sin even entered into the world, God is planning that Jesus would come and offer himself as a sacrifice for sin on the cross. And that picture of the marriage relationship is a picture of the relationship of Christ and the church. Do you see why Jesus loves the church? The foundation, the very foundation for society is the family rooted in marriage in a one fresh love relationship between a husband and a wife. And that relationship becomes a beautiful picture of Jesus' death on the cross. And and as I focus my thoughts and I, I focus myself on, on the unique person of Jesus and his sacrificial life. What that does is that, that helps me to become a better husband and a better person and a better neighbor and a better friend and a better, and a better whatever as I focus my attention on him. That becomes the, the foundation for all of life. There's another flip side of the mystery, and just briefly is this. When you go back and look at the Old Testament, God relates to the nation of Israel as what? A husband, Isaiah, Jeremiah. The people of Israel are likened to being married to God the Father as a husband. And now in the New Testament, we have this idea of the church being married to Jesus as the bride of Christ. Interesting, isn't it? God the Father, God the Son, uniting together, pointing us to what it means for us to live and to honor Jesus. So what's the application, men? 
Are you loving your spouses? Are you loving your spouses like Christ loved the church? That's a high and holy calling. We can't do it by ourselves. We need, we need the help of the Spirit of God. Do you love the church? Because you're a part of the church. If you're a believer, you're part of the church. You love the church. I get it. Listen, we're, we're, we're here warts and all. I, I stood before you and made silly mistakes this morning. And those are our warts. And that's all of us. But in the future, the church is going to be presented to Jesus spotless and blameless, clothed in the very righteousness of Christ. And that's a picture of Christ in the church. Father, thank you for your goodness. Father, thank you for your word. Father, in so many ways, many of us fall short. I know I do in my relationship with my spouse. And Father, it's just a recognition that uh, I need the Spirit of God. I need you. Lord, we sing that sign, I need you. Every day I need you, Lord. And Father, I pray that you would continue to work in and through our lives. Father, I ask that wherever we would find ourselves this morning, that we would simply look to Jesus and who he is and what he would have for us. And that as I look to Jesus and I focus my attention on him, he will transform my life, my relationships, my relationships with family, my relationships in the church, my relationships all over, Father. Lord, I thank you for your goodness, and I thank you for the grace of Jesus. Amen.